So one of the things our culture tries to do is create meaning. As humans, we all want to have some sort of meaning. We want our life to have a purpose. So our culture offers us ways to find meaning. So in some ways, we try to create our own meaning. And this could be something that we identify with, a group that's larger than us. It could be a political party or a political ideology. Or it could be a a phrase that we've all heard before, uh, keeping up with the Joneses. The idea that we look around us and we see people who in life seem to have more than us or seem to have a life that seems what we want. So we do what we can to buy that life to make meaning for ourselves. And this is something that's old, but if you're on social media, it's way worse now. Or it's easier to see. And the thing about social media is that we, we have this account on Facebook or if you have Instagram or Twitter or something, and you're the only person who gets to choose what's put on your page. So that means that you present to all of the people who can see your page only what you want them to see. So what this creates on social media is a world in which every person looks at everyone else's life and they want what they have because they think their life is so great. But the thing is, no one puts on their page, or few people, put on their page the things they don't want people to know, or the things that they're not that happy about. But we live in a world that wants to create meaning. Now, we've been going through Ecclesiastes, and we talked a little bit last week about the beginning of this book. And and if you remember, the second line starts off, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And what I said last week is a lot of what this journey is going to be about through Ecclesiastes is exploring what might bring meaning to life. And remember I said that the way we're going to explore this is by considering a question. And that question was, does life yield less than projected? And the, the answer here, or the question that we need to be considering with this idea, does life yield less than projected, is... Does life promise meaning, but in the end, the promise doesn't live up to what we thought it would? Do we project something in life, but we get way less? Do we try to have meaning, but we fall short? All people, in some way, are trying to find meaning in their life. And they're looking lots of places. But where is it that we need to find meaning? So if you open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 12, we're going to finally meet the the character who we're going to be following for the next couple weeks. And this opens in verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 12. So this is how uh, it starts. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. 
What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. So if you remember, I said, we don't know exactly who wrote the book, but we think there was someone who, who compiled it, who we said was a frame editor, who wrote 1 through 11 of chapter 1. And now we get to meet the character who dominates the rest of the book. And he's identified as the teacher in our English translation. If you remember, I said that we don't actually know what that word, how it should be translated. The teacher is just a guess. Um, and it seems like it's a proper name or a, a title that he's assumed. So that's why I've been calling him uh, the, the Hebrew Koalet. So Koalet, we have finally met. Now he writes in first person. He says, I have done this. I have done that. He's writing autobiographically. And now this first section is the reason people think that it's Solomon, or they attribute it to Solomon, because he says, I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. But the thing about this is he said, I was king. We don't know a time when, when Solomon wasn't king. So that just creates uh, this awkward thing to deal with. And later on, we're going to see that Colette said that he rose in wisdom above any king before him in Jerusalem. Now, if, there was, if it is Solomon, there's only one king before him, David. So that's just an odd thing for him to say. And this is sort of what, along with the evidence I talked about last week, the language being a lot older, makes us think maybe Solomon didn't write it. But instead, this person is trying to adopt the idea of Solomon. Because if you think about the wisest, richest king in Israelite history, the ideal person to be if you were a Jew would be Solomon. So what Koalet is saying is he's taking on this idea of being Solomon. So he can consider, I have everything, is there meaning in life? And what we're going to see... And what he's already revealed to us, he said, I, I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. And this is what he said I discovered. He said, what a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun, and all of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. So this character like Solomon, who had everything is going to take his wisdom and apply it to the things of the world to find meaning. Now, remember, we talked about this idea of meaningless last week, and I said that that's another area where we don't exactly know how to translate the word. And meaningless is helpful, but what's a better way to think about it is water vapor that appears and then disappears. So life breathes out hope. But as soon as that hope comes out, it dissipates. And we're trying to grasp it. We might see hope off in the distance, but when you get closer, it goes away. That's sort of the idea of this meaningless. And again, the question we're considering, does life yield less than projected? Do we tell our young kids, there's so much to hope for, but then when they get older, they realize it was all... A, a promise that wasn't fulfilled. And this is the position that Coalette is putting us in to consider. Now, he's already given his conclusion. He said everything is meaningless. But he's going to walk us through. So starting in verse 16, this is what he said. He said, I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone 
who has ever ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is chasing after wind. For, those, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. So Koalet's going to take the wisdom he has acquired. And he's going to look for meaning in life. But he is going to quickly reveal to us that the more he searches wisdom, the quicker he realizes there isn't any hope to be found. And not only does he search wisdom, but starting in verse or chapter two, verse one, he continues. And he says this, he said, I said to myself, come, I will test with you pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. So Colette sets out to search wisdom, and he realizes that maybe there isn't anything in wisdom, because the more you gain in wisdom, the more you see how meaningless life is. So he says, I'll try my hand at pleasure. Now this first thing he talks about is laughter. He talks about enjoying wine and embracing folly. What he's talking about is partying with his friends. He's like, okay, so wisdom just shows me how meaningless life is. So maybe I can enjoy things in life. So he has good times with his friends. He goes out on the weekend, has some drinks, has a couple laughs, tries to forget about the meaninglessness of life. Now this is a common recreation in our own time. Maybe some of you in the past have had experience with this. You've been there. A lot of high school and college students have gone through this path. But does this promise any meaning in life? Colette continues. He says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I was owned, I also owned more herds and flocks and, than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and the harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. So not only does he explore a good night with his friends, but he explores all the luxuries that he can have. He talks about building houses, planting vineyards, making gardens, 
having slaves, amassing livestock and wealth. He talks about having the best entertainment people can buy. And he talks about having a woman for any night. He had everything he could ever want. So what he's describing here is a successful king. Now, kings weren't all equal. Now, a king would be wealthy, but certain kings were bad leaders. They were under a lot of pressure from outside forces or internal forces. So they didn't have a lot of free time and and extra wealth to do much. But successful kings had extra wealth and time, so they would build things to show their wealth. They would build houses, and they would also build public buildings. They would create gardens. Now, these gardens are similar to modern-day gardens. Like, if you think about going to the botanical gardens in Fort Wayne, and in Denver there was a really, really huge botanical gardens with indoor and outdoor stuff. Um, And it's all man-made. It's different climates all in one climate because humans have taken and, and adjusted things. So kings would do this because it showed their power and wealth. He amassed great wealth from other kings, meaning that he was conquering nations. He also amassed livestock. He was the wealthiest king around. And then he also talks about what he enjoyed for recreation. He says, I had the best entertainment money could buy. I had singers and I had musicians in my court. He kept the best musicians on retainer to play for him whenever he wanted. And then he talks about having a harem. So what a harem is, is uh, wealthy and specifically kings would have harems. And what it is, is just lots of women who were associated with them. So kings would have wives, and they they would marry different women from different countries and different power kingdoms, and they were political alliances. So kings would have many wives, and it showed that they had a lot of power, and a lot of people wanted to have agreements with them. But then kings would take concubines. Now, concubines didn't have the status of wife, but they maybe had what wives didn't always have. If you married someone for a political reason, you might be choosing politics over something else. But when it comes to other things you might want from your wife, you have a concubine because they... They, have, they meet different needs. What he's saying is, he said, I had it all. And then this is what he said. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took great delight in all my labor. And this was the reward for my toil. So he withheld nothing from himself. And the reason he said he did this is he's like, I'm looking for meaning and maybe enjoying all the wealth and power I have and doing whatever I want will bring meaning in life. So first he looks at wisdom. Now what do we have as wisdom in our day? So we don't really value wisdom like maybe ancient people did, like ancient philosophers. But what do we we value? We value knowledge and skills. And what is it we tell our young people to do? To to go to school and then acquire skills so you can do what? So you can have a high-paying job so you can make a lot of money. And then what do you do with that money? You buy things because you're trying to buy meaning. So maybe we don't search wisdom, but we look for knowledge and we look for skills. 
And then our culture gives us things to buy with the money we've earned. And we want, we want to look wealthy, whether we accept it or not. We want people to see us as well off. And we might not have multiple houses like Colette did, but we watch Fixer Upper and we want a house that looks like Chip and Joanna did it, right? If you watch HTTV, it's the worst thing for owning a house because you just want your house to look like that. And the thing is, there's people in Megan and I's age who want their house to look like that, but they don't want to put in the work to get there. And if you even watch House Hunters on HGTV, see these people that are all looking for the key, that is it, the, the turnkey. They wanted to be ready. They wanted to look like it was already remodeled. We want people to see us a certain way. And we don't build gardens, but I've worked for a landscaper and you would be, your mind would be blown the kind of money people spend on landscaping. Hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes. I mean, that's extreme, but thousands. The cheapest you can maybe have landscaping done, if you're having it redone and plants put in, by someone who does it, is ten to $12,000. Unless you have a family discount or something. It's expensive. But we build gardens because we want to look a certain way. We might not amass livestock or gold and silver, but we have these houses that we fill with stuff. We put in TVs and furniture, appliances, collectibles. And then you know what a lot of people do? They have all this stuff, and then they go see my mom, and my mom rents storage units. And then they pay my mom to keep their stuff. I think we're looking for meaning in places that we might not find it. And we don't have the best entertainment. We don't have money to pay for the best musicians in our, in our time. But we do have Netflix, Hulu, HBO Now, YouTube, social media. We have phones with entertainment at all times at our fingers. We're able to fill our lives with entertainment. But this is what Colette said, and this is, I think, what we agree with, too. In verse 11 of chapter 2, he said, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done... And what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So he surveyed all that he had, and he realized it was still meaningless. And he continues in verse 12, he says, Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom, and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what he has already done? I saw the wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads, while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. So Colette says, I've tried pleasure and I've tried wisdom. And pleasure leads to a lot of folly and it leads to a lot of meaning, or a lot of, um, what's the word he uses? Madness. So maybe wisdom is better, because when you're wise, at least you're making choices that will make life better. But in the end, he says, maybe it doesn't matter that much. Because he says, even if I live wisely, the same fate overtakes me and the fool. And he continues in verse 15 of chapter 2, he says this. He said, then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. 
What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless, for the wise, like the fool, will not only will be long will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. So in spite of wisdom being better than foolishness and madness and pleasure, in the end, the foolish person and the wise person die. So this is going to be a theme throughout Ecclesiastes. Because Colette has realized that, you know what, no matter how I live, I die. And no matter how someone else lives, they die too. So what's the point of living to have meaning? Or what's the point of having purpose? Or what's the point of being wise? So maybe you can relate with this. Some of you have gotten towards the end of your life. It's easy to look back and wonder if the work you put in actually was worth the effort. I think a lot of us can, can feel this way about life. We're given so much hope when you're young, we're young, and then depending on what happens, life might get the best of us, and in the end we actually wonder, is it all just going to be death in the end? We might wonder, why are we walking so hard for things? Because in the end, we have, we're going to die. This is where Colette finds himself. But does he give us any hope? Continuing in chapter 2, verse 17, he continues by saying this. He said, So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me, all of it meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So he's like, I hate life because I've worked so hard to become wise and to gain all of this wealth. And he says, you know what? It's meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. And he continues to say, I said, I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who was not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all their toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. So this is what Colette says. He says, the thing is, I have amassed all of this wealth, but I'm going to die and I don't know if the person after me is going to be wise or foolish. They might not deserve what they get from me. And in the end, they get it. And then they might squander it. So all that I worked to build in my life might be squandered by my offspring. Now, if you're a king, think about it. You build your kingdom. You want to pass it on to your offspring, your heir, and you hope that they build upon what you've made. Because you're going to be remembered in your, king, in your nation's history as a great king. But you want your dynasty, your, your, your offspring, to continue your legacy. But he's like, I've amassed all this wealth and this power, but I don't even know if my heir will be able to uphold to the standard that I have made. And because of this, he says, it's meaningless that I worked for all of those things. 
just to pass them on to the person who would die after me. How often have we heard parents and grandparents say that they're working to leave things for the next generation? A big part of the American dream, at least in generations past, has been that you amass wealth to make your family better. But as Coletta said, it doesn't, you don't know what your offspring will do and the next generation will do with what you've created. So in the end for Colette, because he doesn't know this and because he has to leave his wealth behind when he dies, maybe it's all meaningless. But if it's meaningless, is there a silver lining for Colette? And this is what he says in chapter 2, verse 24. He says, A person can do nothing better than to eat and to drink and to find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up to hand it over, gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases, who God pleases. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So in the end, Colette says, maybe what I should just do is enjoy what I've gathered. Now he talks about this, and he's already talked about enjoying as in partying. But it seems in this position it's a little different. He says that this I see is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? So we've gathered these things. Koa has gathered these things, and he says, maybe I should just enjoy them. Now, This is the first of seven times in this book where he's going to say something like this. And now there's people who read Ecclesiastes and they say, because of these passages, the koalette is what's called a hedonist. Hedonism, which is basically just enjoying things in life. Enjoying pleasure. But koalette doesn't put it that way because he says these are gifts from God. And he says that we should enjoy, as gifts from God, the fruits of our labor. So this is the way I think he's kind of put in it. He's telling us to enjoy the small things in life. To take notice of the small moments and to enjoy the fruits of our labor. And whether that be enjoying what we have purchased with money we've worked hard to earn, or whether it means enjoying the fruits of the relationships we've worked to build. He wants us to enjoy the small things in life. This is what Colette says. So now we've met him. I talked about him last week. And Colette's testimony says that he said, I was wise and wealthy and powerful. But he still realized that the fruits of his labor would one day be left to people after him. And he said, I don't know if that person's going to be wise or not. So for me to work to build something to leave for people after me seems foolish. But in the end, he says, maybe I should just enjoy the fruits of my labor. So this leaves us with a question. Should we simply enjoy the small things in life? 
Should we indulge in the fruits of our labor? Should we eat whatever we want? Should we buy whatever we want? So if you remember when I talked about this last weekend when I wrote in the newsletter, I said there's things about Ecclesiastes that won't be resolved until the end. So this is going to be an ongoing question we need to consider. And there's going to be resolution, and I promise that it will be hopefully captivating, hopefully something you maybe haven't heard, and hopefully something that will give life and hope. And now if you were at, uh, if you were at the service, Sharon, I think you're the only person there at the service for uh, the Kikiyunga Festival, she might have got a sneak peek of the perspective that I'm going to take at the end. But this is what I think we should consider right now. Our culture wants us to believe that we can find meaning and pleasure, meaning that we can buy things that bring us enjoyment and meaning. But in the end, these things will eventually be left here to the people after us. So I think instead of thinking about what we can have, I think it's more important for us to consider how we might have how what we have might enhance our life. So, a quick two-minute summary of what I mean by this. So, we're made for the earth. I've talked about this before. I said we are humans made for earth. We're, we are earth people. We are physical. We are supposed to be here. God made us to bear his image in creation. He says, I'm making you to create in what I've created. You are bringing me glory by what you make. So that means when we hold an iPhone, in some ways that is the glory of God because it is our human ingenuity to make that. That is because God has instilled in us his image and we are able to create as he created. But what's important is that we must see things for what they are. They are means to seeing the whole. So we have a nice house. That is good. We should want to have a nice house. But it won't bring us meaning unless we use the nice house to fill it with people in our lives who we enjoy so that we can have enjoyment with them. Good food is better with people that we love and enjoy. Good entertainment, a good movie is better with the people that we love. See where he's pointing, where, where we're pointing? The things that we have in our life, the small things, in some way reflects God's glory. But it's not about the things. It's about how those things can enhance our lives, how we can enjoy each other, how we can better love one another, how we can better love God. Should we simply enjoy the small things in life? We're starting to consider that today. But this is just the start. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you as your people. You've given us things in life. You've blessed us. You've blessed us to live in a country that is wealthy. You've blessed us to have certain rights. But Lord, those rights and the blessing in the country isn't in itself bringing us meaning. The things that we have don't bring us meaning. Only a relationship in connection with you, brings our lives meaning and purpose. But may we begin to see the things in our lives around us 
as ways of seeing your glory and enjoying the gifts you've given us that point towards your glory. Lord, we ask this all in your Son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever.